are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Your Bibles tonight, Psalm 73. Next um, Sunday night, I'll look forward to preaching. But next Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Cooper will be preaching. I'll be here, of course. I'm looking forward to that message next Sunday morning. You'll be in prayer for his preaching and then be in prayer for uh, tonight, uh, next Sunday night. And of course, Wednesday night, we're in our Bible study with Pastor Bertram and he'll continue that tremendous study. I, I tell you, I just, I sat over here and just, I thought, wouldn't it be something to be in Bible college under that type of teaching and preaching of the Word of God, such great, great. You remind me so much of my father-in-law when he would teach and preach the Word of God. I love you folks so much. I appreciate you, and I thank God for this great privilege. Let's stand together, please. Well, I said that. You're probably all bundled up with those uh, those uh, blankets there. But let's stand, and we're in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is an interesting psalm. It's written by a music director, Asaph. He's very, very frustrated. He's frustrated with himself. He's frustrated with the wicked people. He's, I think, a little bit frustrated with God. He begins strong, and he ends strong, but then he gets a little bit sideways. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compassed them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lofty. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I will offend against the generation of thy children. Then I thought to know this. It was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God that I understood their end. Pastor Bertram, will you come, if you will, lead us in a word of prayer tonight for the message of the hour. And let's ask that God would meet with us in a very special way. 
Our Heavenly Father, as we gather here tonight, we thank you for the privilege to gather and to worship you. Lord, I think of our text and how often we find ourselves walking the same path as the psalmist, troubled by the seeming prosperity of those around us. And even the devil himself will lean upon our shoulder and tell us it's all in vain. Oh, but until we come to the sanctuary, until we open the word of God and hear the truth of God, then it sets our feet aright. And Lord, I pray that tonight you may do that very thing in our hearts and lives. I pray that you would fill our pastor with power from on high. Use him for your honor and your glory and for our good. We'll thank you and praise you for what you do. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Hey, man, as, you be, as you're seated, go ahead and bundle back up. Get by the heaters, get by the fire pits. Tonight, that key verse is verse 17. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood. You know, I have preached on that part of the verse before. That is not what I'm speaking on tonight. But it's an amazing thing when you get to church. I've been so many times in these 45 years, maybe it's because of nervousness or, or apprehension or fear, or maybe it's because I was trusting too much myself. There have been many times, especially in the early days, where I'd come to church not feeling well. I'd be all tensed up and, and nervous about preaching, and, uh, and I'd have such splitting headaches. And yet, you know, it's an amazing thing. You get to God's house, and you start to sing, and you begin to sing, and begin to fellowship, and you have tithes and offerings, and then you get to preach. And I tell you what, I always leave wound up and refreshed in the things of God. I love going to church. I believe everything I preach this morning and more. I believe the church is the answer. We can't take around with it. We, we can't change it. We cannot uh, uh, think that we found something new and try to destroy the church. The church is, it should not be known for basketball. The church should not be known for play. The sh church should not be known for party. The church should be known for the things we discussed this morning and preaching the word of God and taking the gospel house to house and door to door and neighbor to neighbor and getting the gospel message of salvation out because we are in the last moments of eternity and there is a place called hell. I love church. I always have loved it. The, the time that I really had a hard time with church was Sunday night at the close of the song service. I just love Sunday school. I love Sunday morning. I love Sunday night. And after this singing to the congregation, I love that. And after the special music, the pastor would get up to sing, and I think, oh my. He'll preach, and then the invitation, and then we have to go home and go to bed, and I have to go to school. Whoever created school had to be a bad person. Probably the same person that created hunting and fishing that I've spoke about this morning, and some rebels in this tent were having a hard time with that. But I still ask the man to preach next Sunday. I don't know why, but to make because I asked him before then. But you know, I, I think I've got to go to school. I'd rather go to church. I've always loved church. Maybe something strange with me. I long to go to church. I've preached most Mondays and Tuesdays of my life for 40 years straight on Mondays and Tuesdays and Sunday all day and Wednesday. And I love church. I just love it. I love to sing with teenagers and hearing these teenagers sing tonight out of our Christian school was such a blessing. 
I, I, love, I love giving. I love tithing. I believe you're probably the same way. That had been a good place to say amen. At least somebody could try it. You know, it's a wonderful thing to go to church. Apparently you believe the same because these lots are filled, these tents are filled tonight. And it's amazing how God can bring such a peace, such a comfort, such a calm when you go to the house of God. But I want you to see another part of that verse tonight. And I want you to see with me in verse 17 how Asaph said, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I there. What's the last word in that verse? Three little letters. What is it tonight? Say it together. End. Everything in life, everything in life, everything in life always must be lived with the end in view. If you want to have a good life, you never live for today. You always live for the last day, which could be today. Yes, give us this day our daily bread, and this may be the last. But when I climbed the last mile of the way, when I walked the last mile on my journey, I, I hope it would be looking back on a good journey, looking back through the years, the heartaches and the tears. The Lord has never once let me down. Though I don't understand, still I hold to his hand. No need to doubt him now. He'll make a way somehow. I always want to live for the end. I try to always kneel and pray before I preach and say, Lord, this may be my very last message. And if it is, may I give it everything I have. I may not see tomorrow. You may not see tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty, but the one who feeds a sparrow is the one who stands by me. That word end. Tonight I speak on the end. The end. If you watch a old television program, Miss Trevor, I have never watched really Lucy. I love Lucy. My dad didn't like it because they always lied to one another. But through COVID, we have watched every Andy Griffith imaginable. And we've just, we've watched, I can tell the parts better than they can. Hey, Barn, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And we went and bought the series of all the I Love Lucys. And you know, we started to watch a few of those things. Did you ever watch those? They lie to one another all the time. They're always doing something deceptive. Maybe that's why my dad didn't like it, but we're kind of laughing at it. That one of the, I'm getting off of preaching now, but that one of the chocolate factory we saw. Have you ever seen that one? That is a, yeah, that's a good one right there. Woke up somebody in that, uh, in that um, Toyota car right there. I could just hear it. You know, we, we laugh and laugh. And you know what it always says at it? The end. The end. When it's all done, it just says the end. When you get to the end, it's the end. One day you'll have the end. One day I'll have the end. One day we'll draw the last breath. One day we'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Asaph said, I had to consider their end. I had to look at what's happening for them and what's ahead, what the end is. What is the word end? It means the termination. It means the conclusion. It means the final outcome. And there will be a conclusion to your life. There'll be a conclusion to my life. There'll be a conclusion to my ministry. There'll be a conclusion to you teaching. Brother Steve Nichols, our dear friend, 
His dad was a Baptist preacher all these years and he passed away this past week and they had their funeral in Minnesota yesterday and his precious mother who stood by his side all these many years was at that funeral and Brother, Steve, Brother Nichols texted me this morning and said my mother's having a difficult time with a lot of different things but he said she can't play the piano anymore her arthritis in her fingers as she watches our services on Sunday night, she may be watching now, but he said it thrilled my heart. My mother played the piano. My mother played the piano in church for 70 years, seven zero. I tell you what, thank God for a testimony like that. There's coming an end when you can play the piano. There's coming an end when you can sing in the choir. There's coming an end when you'll usher your last time. There's coming an end when you'll play that trumpet or that flute or that clarinet or that piano or work in the sound ministry or teach that class or drive that bus for the last time. The end, there's a termination, it's over. There's a final outcome. My Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 7 to 8, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. I'm coming to you tonight on behalf of discovering a vision that will take you to the end. That will take you to the end. I think of your dear brother, Brother Jim, two days away from his 60th birthday, 59 years of age, not sick, his heart exploded at home in his bedroom. That night, God took him so quickly. My sweet sister, just in November, heart exploded on uh, November the 3rd, never sick, really was a healthy girl, and then God took her her right, final end. You don't know about tomorrow, I don't know, and tonight I'm coming to you on behalf, would you consider the end of a thing? You know, that's in everything in life. I think of a man that is broke all the time, and I think of another man about the same age. Both have identical, almost identical backgrounds. Both have very similar jobs. Both have very similar families and ages and you name it. And one has already paid his house off with no help from anyone else, just paid it off. And the other one just cannot seem to pay the monthly rent. You know, there's, there has to be a, 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 a vision where you lay out the end where do I want to wind up? What do I want to leave? I read in my Bible reading this morning that you leave something for your children. What do I want to leave? Say, well, I, I can't ever do it from here. Why, others have. Amen. Others have. Why can't you do it from here? I would never want to criticize my beloved place of ministry called Rockford, Illinois, the great Berean Baptist Church. I was in that church nearly 50 years ago serving God. And you know, it became really my home church. My father-in-law, who was not my father-in-law, became my pastor. I loved every bit of it. I loved the city. I loved to go back there and drive those streets. But I've been told and I looked that the population when we left about 46 years ago, 47 years ago, the population is exactly the same 46, 47 years ago, and they tell me that the housing has gone up just a few dollars. It's about the same as it was almost 50 years ago. Somehow you can buy a house here and you can make some equity. Don't always think you have to go somewhere else to let God bless you. 
You ought to look at the end of the thing. You say, I want to get a house. Well, don't say I can never get one here. Figure out how God's going to do it. Miss Trevor and I never ask a dime for this church. We never ask a dime from our parents. But after 18 years of marriage, God let us get in a house. Oh, I thank God for the miracle that God did it. God can let a man to Christ in our valley many years ago. Oh, maybe about 10 years ago. And he came and he saw me and he said, Pastor, an interesting thing happened. A man we barely know, he gave my wife and I a beautiful house in Los Gatos, California, free and clear, just gave it to us. God can do anything. And I want you to begin to start and consider the end. Have you thought about the end of your family? Have you thought about their salvation? There are 22 in our family. My wife and I, three kids and their mates and 14 grandkids, there's 22 of us. Of the 22, all are saved but two. One of those that's not saved is just a little over a year old. The other one is just about a three-year-old. We're praying for their salvation because one day their eyes are gonna be open, they need the Savior. And I pray that when I get to the end of my life, whatever it might be, if God lets me live, I can look back and get ready to go to heaven and say all 22 in our, I just broke this thing, fellas. All 22 in our family are born again and saved. Hey, how about looking at the end of the thing? How about looking when you draw your last breath? Is your father saved? Is your mother saved? Is your brother saved? Is your sister saved? Are your aunts and uncles saved? My knowledge, and we have so many aunts and uncles that have passed away. I think I kind of told my wife this morning, we looking at the lunch table today. I think she has 17 aunts and uncles that have passed away. I have more than that. As far as I know, there's only one that potentially was not saved. Every single one born again. We have 30 some aunts and uncles in heaven. I'm glad they're in heaven. My uncles that were all preachers are in heaven. My aunts that were all preachers' wives are in heaven. I thank God for my grandparents in heaven. My wife's grandparents in heaven on both sides. Her grandpa preacher in heaven. Her dad in heaven. Her mother who was a preacher, her dad was a preacher. Her mother in heaven. Her, our niece in heaven. I thank God for another nephew in heaven. I thank God for a sister-in-law in heaven. I thank God for a sister in heaven. Had every single one born again. Would you see the end of the thing? Would they see that the last day you die, that you're alive, you look back and say, my family's all in. Could you look back and say, I did my best trying to raise my kids for Christ. I don't know what they're gonna do with what you raised them for Christ. They might grow up and get twisted by somebody. It's an amazing thing how kids get all haywire. But all raise them up for God. And when you let them leave your home and you release them, may at least be the fact that you put the right things in their heart. I come in this church tonight. You know what you've been doing for the last 10 years? You've been looking at the end of a thing. The termination of something. The completion of something. The last of something called the debt. Debt retirement. And to think on this property, the other property, there are seven and a quarter acres that soon, by the grace of God, within 32 months, if not sooner, will be debt free. Hundreds of thousands of square feet of building space in the Silicon Valley, right near the International Airport, will be debt 
free by the grace of God. How'd that happen? You didn't see day by day. You took a look at the end of the thing and 16.5 million in debt and then 15 million in debt and then 14, then 13, then 12, then 10, then nine, then eight, then seven, then six, then five, then four, and now 3.9 left. I want to say something. You've got a vision on the end. We're going to get this thing done. I thank God for it because you're living for the end of the thing. Sports, that's what a good coach does. And I'm not a good coach. I like to watch the coach. I like to watch the coach, how they run the clock in basketball, particularly in football. One minute left. You have 90 yards to go. You have two timeouts. And I just get so interested to see what that coach is going to do. Everything cannot be a pass to the outside. You can't just always pass and run out of bounds. You have to mix it up. You have to keep them off balance. They may run up the middle and move the chains and have to stop the clock to move the chains. They might, uh, they might spike the ball. They might run out of bounds. They might catch and go over here. They may run a sweep and get out of bounds, but a good co coach always knows how to run that clock. And I'm saying to you tonight, whether it's in basketball or in, base, in football, that you learn to, to watch and manage the clock. You have a clock that's running right now. It's ticking right now. Manage the clock that you make every hour count in running, in running a race. You're running for the finish line. In football, you're going for the last zero, 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 zero. The finish line, when you run that race, you cross that finish line and you're finished. It's terminated. It's over. You won. You're in first place in auto racing. You watch for that checkered flag. That means the race is over. In academics, you walk forward by the tune of pomp and circumstance. And as you walk forward, a message is preached and a challenge is given. And then you walk in your cap and gown as a senior or as a master student. And your tassel is moved from one side to the other. You're given a diploma. It's the end of the thing. You have completed that formal education. Friends, don't come here just to go to Bible college for a freshman year. Oh, get your eye on the end of a thing. Get your eye on the thing that all of a sudden I'm having a diploma in my hand and I'm going to start back at the finish line. I'm going to a mission field. I'm going to a church to be a youth pastor. I'm going to be a bus director, a music director, a Christian school principal, a Christian school teacher. I'm going to be a pastor because the end of a thing is so important in life. We live for the immediate. We live for the fun of today. And if something's hard, it seems like we don't want to do it. In business, the end of the thing is always the bottom line. You look at the bottom line and you have an audit and you have a review and you look back what took place in life. Our theme this year is Philippians 3, 14. I press toward the mark. The mark is the goal. The mark is the end. 
When we get to December 31st this year, if the Lord tarries, I will look back and say I prayed more, I studied more, I read the Word of God more, I tried to win more souls, I tried to be more faithful, I tried to be a better Christian, I tried to live for God already. I've seen some failures in my life in the first two months, but friend, I want to get to the end of the year and say it's been my best year. If I'm going to have my best year, I got to keep my eye on the finish line, but I have to make sure there are good deposits in January and good deposits in February and good deposits in March and good deposits in April and in June and September and November and December. And all of a sudden, if the Lord tells, I look back and say, 2021 has been the greatest year of my life. The end of the thing. Can I get you to leave here in just a few moments tonight? and say, I'm gonna look at the end of the thing. We're making decisions based on the immediate thing, not the end. Are you thinking about what you're making your decision? Are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about this decision right now? Just, I'm forced to do it, I can't have no option. I have to do it, I have to do it. No, you, you don't have to do that. You have to see what God would have you to do. The end of the thing is the important thing. Here, the music director said, I saw their end. I figured it out. We're changing philosophy based on the immediate. Yet Paul says in Colossians 2.10, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Our churches have changed so quickly. I know you're probably weary these last few weeks me saying something like that. I feel like this pastor's conference is life or death. I just believe this church, this type of church that captured our country, particularly in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and yeah, even the 90s, through preaching and through the bus ministry and worldwide missions and giving and sacrifice and compassion and love and door to door and house to house. I just believe that type of church is what salvaged America and all of a sudden the wheels are coming off of this country politically and the wheels are coming off this country morally and to think that a president has been silenced, a great president has been silenced from the internet that he cannot any longer communicate with over 80 million people that voted with them because some computer guru said you can't be on our websites anymore. I can't, I can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend him doing that to any president of the United States that served this country. I can't comprehend it. Now probably we're gonna be exed. I just can't comprehend it. I guess I have the right to say I can't comprehend it. I guess you could say amen. Thank you both those cars, three of you. It's unprecedented. It's unbelievable. How we silence the voice because you don't agree with the gurus? We're not seeing the end of that thing. What's going to happen? They can silence anything they want. They can silence you. Don't you see that we're going to have to do something today if we're going to see the end of the thing having righteousness still be declared publicly from the pulpits. Stop 
toying with this thing. Stop making the church just, well, if it works out, my schedule, it works out. If it doesn't, that's a bunch of nonsense. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You're not looking at the end of things. You're, I tell you what the end of the thing is. We got become casual with church. Our kids see that, they become casual. Well, well, we'll go Sunday morning. Well, when they leave, they won't go at all. Keep coming. We're tampering with the church, with Sunday school, with youth hour, with Sunday night, with buses, with choir. Let me tell you the condition we're in. And I know that tens of thousands of people are watching right now. And I'll probably get calls and emails saying, hey, sign me up, I'll take that. Dear pastor friend called me this week. Said, Brother Treber, we have followed the example of your church. We have this year in our church and this month in February, it's I love my church. And every year we give toward us. But this year we're collecting a great amount of money for somebody else. I said, what do you want to invest it in? He said, church planting. Church planting. But he said, here's the problem. I've checked with preachers all over. Nobody knows anybody that's doing anything. Now I know we have a precious son and we're supporting and helping get a church off the ground. God's blessing him and it's coming along and it's doing great. Perhaps had about 200 in church this morning, I would guess. It's beginning to come rooted. I, I, I see that as past the church planning moment, though they're still renting buildings and public schools. I tell you what, it's a shame. It is a shame we can't find preachers to invest in. It's a shame that I have churches right now that every week of my life, they'll email me and say, or they'll call and say, would you please send us a preacher? We need a pastor. We have a building. We have property. It's paid for. Would you please? One of my roommates in college, his precious wife wrote, said, your, your roommate, your, 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 your class buddy, she said he had a stroke in October. He'll not preach again. He can't speak. I spoke to him on the phone this week. And unless there's a miracle, he may not. She said, our buildings are paid for. Our properties are paid for. We just needed a pastor. And we cannot find a pastor. And I know my phone's going to ring off the hook. And if you have to call looking for a pastor, you're not the one I'm looking for. Something's wrong. They should be lined up. In every church in America, pastors should be dealing with men and preparing men and getting them ready for Bible college and men ought to already have the touch of God on their life. I want to do something with my life. But so often we have to convince them. I hope it's the Holy Spirit that's convincing them. It's a great opportunity. We're closing nearly 50 churches a week in America right now. Something's wrong. In a moment when America needs the church the most, the church is sinking. That's why, God, people, this place is so important. What you're doing in the midst of adversity and meeting in the car and meeting in a tent and playing instruments outside and sitting out in the open air, what you're doing and not stumbling and not quitting and saying there is a great hope. God is still on the throne. Thank God for you tonight. We cannot give up. We cannot say, well, it's so hard. Look at the end. Soon and very soon, 
We're going to go see the king of kings. Our race will be over. Our journey will be done. I'm coming down to the end of my message, which is on one word tonight. Therein are the end. I want you to see their end. Verse 22. Verse 18 says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. They don't know it, but they're in slippery places. The last word in that verse is, they're headed toward destruction. They're headed toward desolation, 19. They're gonna be utterly consumed. Verse 22, he says of himself, so foolish was I. Because God is keeping score. The end of the thing. The end of the thing. Brother Martinez, I love it when you sing that song once in a while with the church. 10,000 years. Soon I'll come to the end of my journey. And I'll meet the one who gave his life for me. I will thank him for the love that he gave me. And for 10,000 years, I'll praise his name. I'm coming to the end. You're coming to the end. Soon we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And this wonderful race of life is going to be over. And we'll be on the other side. Red was a young man. Red was 21 years of age. He and his brothers would go out in the field and watch those planes on the farms and they'd watch them taking off and they'd watch them landing on the dirt fields. He was impressed with those planes and he said, one day, I'm gonna be jumping out of those planes. Planes just like that. I'm gonna go up and have a parachute on and jump out. In 1941, he went to the recruiter and said, I want to join Airborne. I want to jump out of planes. World War II. And the man said, you have to be in 110% health. What is it like? You have any health ailments. He said, my, my right hand cannot touch my shoulder. I broke my arm when I was a kid. It never mended right. And the recruiter said, son, you will never be accepted into the airborne division. You will never jump out of a plane. His heart was so crushed. He said, I was discouraged, but not defeated. I like that. Discouraged, but not defeated. Why? He kept looking at the end. He said, at the end, I'm going to be jumping out of those planes. Roosevelt called all men in 1942, August the 2nd. He called them and said, we are entering into World War II, and I want you men to volunteer nationwide. Eventually, he went to another recruiter, and he said, I want to, I want to jump out of planes. And he said, I've gone the past and they denied me, but I'm going to beg you, I'll make it. I'll make it. I want you to give me a second chance. And he said, son, he used two words, you will wash out. You military men know what that, you'll wash out. You'll not make it. We'll have to put you aside. But he said, I won't wash out. I will make it. And he went with 7,000 men they went to Fort Benning and began to, they hastened it all through for 13 weeks and they hastened it. 
And out of those men, there are 7,000 men. Out of those 7,000 men, 5,000 washed out. But Red, he wasn't the first in first place, but he made it. They took him and they flew him over, they took him overseas. There on June the 5th, you know about what the next day was going to be. June the 5th, they took a total of all the divisions, 13,000 boys. They made a little flight over the peninsula. It took about 12 minutes. And those 13,000 boys in those planes had parachutes. They were coming on the sea to Normandy. And these boys in the dark of the night were coming into Normandy on the other side. Red was with them. He could hardly wait. He always wanted to be in the military and to, to fight for his country that he loved. Red jumped out. He said, all of a sudden, when we got over that area, he said, up in the sky, that plane began to shake and they were firing those, those rockets at us and firing those weapons and it was all red in the skies and this plane was going down and you could hear it going down. The plane over here was going down and they said we were in the back of the plane and one by one, they said jump and we jumped. He said, I jumped. We landed six miles away from where we were supposed to be. It was the dark of the night and we had to begin to trudge on roads that were no longer there. They'd all been bombed by the Germans and by the Americans. The roads were gone. They said the next day we were still walking and there was not a tree left, a, 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 a leaf left on one tree in the area. He said, I'd never seen such devastation. And they were coming on the 6th of June, Normandy, and they came rushing in and we came this way. And God won a victory. No, he said as he came home and eventually went to work for the Wayroad and married his high school sweetheart and had raised three kids, laid his wife to rest in 2002. And he said, I was never great. But I made it to the end. I jumped out of planes. He had a vision for his life. I'm pleading for you. Would you get a vision about the end? Your business, your marriage, your children, your ministry, your church membership. Could we get a vision say, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I want to serve the Lord all the days of my life. Sister Nichols, if you're watching in Minnesota, I remember you playing that piano. I remember preaching a meeting in Sacramento and you were there. Your son, Brother Steve Nichols, asked you to play. i tell you what, I admired it so much. You were very good. You had such good chords that I could hear you on that piano. But now those fingers don't work like they used to. But for 70 years, you took those fingers and used them for God. Brother Steve Nichols has a father-in-law, Dr. Dion, pastor 40-some years up in Great Falls, Montana. They live in Colorado, and his dear precious wife, Mrs. Dion, has been suffering with her health for so long now. Such a struggle as he cared for. 
But those two men, both fathers and father-in-laws to the same grandkids, they served God a lifetime. I want that for my life. Soon I'll come to the end of my journey and I'll meet the one who gave his life for me. I hope at the end of it all, I still love him better every day. I still hope I love his Bible and I want to read it more every day. And I want to find rich treasure that I've not seen before. I, I want to still pray and see God answer prayer. I want to see God raise up young men in this Bible college that will leave here and tear it up in cities and states and countries around the globe that God still can and churches can go and churches can grow and churches can believe the old time way in hymns and songs and spiritual songs and preaching and shouting and amening and choirs and all of that. It still can work. The end. Soon we're coming to the end. Don't bail out too early. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.